Well, uh, five months on, and we have reached the end of, or we have reached the concluding week of our study in the book of Hosea. And I suppose just before we finish, it would be worthwhile reflecting on what has gone before. In the first section of the book, uh, we saw the use of Hosea's unusual marital circumstances as a symbolic message from the Lord to his people. God loves his covenant people and will always take a repentant heart back no matter how far they have strayed. As God renews his love towards faithless Israel, so Hosea is to renew his love towards faithless Gomer. The second section sows Joe's Israel's involvement with the Canaanite religion, trying desperately for something to grasp to, something to cling to, whether political ally, whether financial gain, or whatever. I suppose, thinking on this during the week, I was reminded uh, of a singer-songwriter who is one of my favorites, uh, Rufus Wainwright, who coins in one of his songs the words, I don't know what it is, but I gotta do it. I gotta be there. This was Israel's reaction. They didn't know what they were looking for, but whatever it was, they wanted it. Yet, we see as we grow gradually through the chapters that the Lord's love for his people is unending and will tolerate no rival. Of course, as we have seen, Hosea's message contains much condemnation, both national and individual, but he also betrays the love of God towards his people with passionate emotion. The marital life of Hosea and his wife Gomer clarifies these themes in the book. Sin, judgment, yet forgiving love. No matter how far it seems that Israel sold themselves to the world, the everlasting love of God will always take them back. I suppose as we have journeyed through the book of Hosea, a question could be asked in terms of where in the scripture do you turn for encouragement? I wonder how many people's first response would be the Old Testament prophets as their answer. I guess many of us have found this book hard to grapple with and understand as we've heard week after week about doom, gloom, and boom, to quote Steve himself. (laughs) But in the midst of it all, beneath the surface, we keep coming back to this love, as the hymn writer says, that will not let us go. I suppose many of us in situations when we hit the floor and reach rock bottom and cry out of despair can identify with the people of Israel in this chapter. One writer has said that our tears can become as telescopes because they can help us see clearly things that were previously only a blur. During prosperous times when things are going well, we seldom learn many lessons. When sorrow comes, however, how often is it that we come to understand the things that God was trying to teach us 
and to get us to understand. Hosea's life then, as much as any other book in the Bible, illustrates this truth. As a young man, he marries this Gomer, and they have children. And at some stage, Gomer becomes unfaithful. The second and third child possibly even being the result of her infidelity. But the matter breaks Hosea's heart. Sometimes later, sometimes, sometime later, perhaps, after many years have passed, God commands Hosea to go and to find his wife and bring her back from the life she has wandered into in the slave market. Hosea takes her home and restores her to the former position she held in the household. However, he first makes her endure a a period in which she proves herself as a faithful wife. Hosea learns many lessons uh, from this experience. He learns the nature of sin, he learns the essence of religion, and he learns the heart of God. He learns and is taught that love isn't a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. To quote Cohen, who we were listening to earlier on. But to return to our title this morning, it's Jesus Loves Me, This I Know Because. How do I know? Is it a matter of head knowledge or is it heart knowledge? I'm sure, like many of you, last Sunday morning, you woke up to this on the news. If it'll play. It's, uh... Whitney Houston, the uh, singer, has died. We're getting reports now from her publicist, uh, Kristen Foster, has confirmed uh, that the singer has died. The cause and the location of her death, though, still remains clear. Uh, she was 48 years old. Of course, uh, her image as the pop queen uh, of music uh, over recent years has been ravaged by uh, drug abuse. Uh, we've been seeing numerous reports of that in the papers and, and pictures of her over the last week or so, but uh, confirmation from her publicist, Kristen, Kristen Foster, that the singer has died at the age of 48, but the cause of her location and her death uh, remains unclear. Of course, in the peak of her career was probably in the 1980s and 90s, uh, the golden girl of the music industry, uh, among her hits, How Will I Know, Saving All My Love For You, and of course, I Will Always Love You, the uh, hit song from the uh, film The Bodyguard. Uh, we will, of course, bring you more on her death and reaction to her death uh, as we get it, but just confirming the 48-year-old American singer Whitney Houston has died. And yesterday we witnessed the funeral of Whitney Houston and people paying tribute and homage to her life and her musical input and career. Here was a woman who started off singing in church, member of a gospel choir, rose up through the ranks and was recognized for her great talent and singing ability. Then comes the moment she's been waiting for, that, per, that uh, moment of entering the pop world, taking it by storm, reaching higher than any other African-American singer ever had, achieving much more commercial success. Yet at the very height of that experience came a moment of downfall. Her marriage to Bobby Brown has been well documented. Her descent into drugs and alcohol has been well documented over the past week. Yet what was she doing 
24 hours before she was found dead in that hotel room. She gave her last live public performance in a club in Beverly Hills. And what does she choose as her song? Let's listen. There's some flash photography in this clip. turmoil of life and confusion in terms of what direction she was moving in. 24 hours before her death, she's standing in a nightclub singing, yes, Jesus loves me. There's a fuller clip of that on YouTube in which she then says to the crowd, yes, I know that Jesus loves me, no matter what I've done. Not all wanderers are lost as we witnessed before Christmas, as we had our gospel according to Hosea. What's the point of that? Basically to illustrate how we come to the end of this book, we find Hosea chapter 14, not a very long chapter. In fact, it would probably only take one minute for you to read, but in it, is compact and dense poetry marked with signposts to all that has gone on before. Yet it is here that it hits its final crescendo. It is structured as a call and as a response. And then as you've seen at the end, it gives us an afterword, a key to interpreting all that has gone on before. Hosea's message crafted to remind the people of Israel who they were, God's sons and daughters, a message no less essential for God's people today. In the first three chapters of the text, we see Hosea issue a call to repentance. The final words of the Lord in this book are not hopeless ideas of death and disaster. God wants to give life to his people, but this will only be possible if the problem of sin is dealt with and removed. Hosea calls his people to turn, to repent, and and turn away from their sins and turn to God. Sin has been the root of the problem. It has caused the downfall of the nation. Once they take the step of turning to God instead of sinning, they will be able to speak to him about the choices they have made. Although it is an argument from silence, it is as significant, is it not, that Hosea asks only for a change of heart, a relationship with God 
not some act of sacrifice as the people were well used to. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. God calls you to return, come back, and leave where you are. God's desire is for His people to be with Him. Do we all not make mistakes? Thomas Edison, in 1914, in a factory in West Orange, New Jersey, found his factory virtually destroyed by fire. Although the damage exceeded uh, $2 million, the insurance only covered a quarter of what was lost. Much of that man's life went up in smoke that night. At the height of the fire, his 24-year-old son Charles searched frantically for him. And he finally found his dad, not as he thought, but find him calmly watching the fire, his, his face glowing in the reflection, his white hair blowing in the wind. Charles thought his dad would be distraught, but no. Edison's words were, as he looked at those ruins, there is great value in disaster. All my mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. And that is the experience of Israel as we come to the end of this book. The mistakes burned up the opportunity to start again. And that's the promise to you and I as well as we read through Scripture. Time and time again, this promise of, after repentance, a faithful relationship with God. And what comes from that repentance? Well, God's promise of restoration. The text doesn't actually tell us if anyone actually prayed the prayer that Hosea has modeled for them of confession, but Hosea clearly does illustrate how God will respond when His people turn and worship Him alone. He will lead them, He will heal them out of their sinfulness. God's grace continually poured out to a nation, though they may not even have recognized it. As Dave was singing to us, I taught you to walk, though you did not know it was my hand you held. I healed your wounds, though you don't recall my presence in the, in the surgery. I'm making you beautiful again. And that is what God was doing and continues to do with his people when we turn to him. You don't go to the doctor with a broken arm and the doctor says, go away and fix it yourself and come back and see me when you're feeling a little better and I'll see how I can help you. Nor do you go to the mechanic because your car won't start and the mechanic says, bring back your car when it's working and I'll have a look at it. Or you don't go to the gym and they say, come back when you're in a bit better shape and then we can talk uh, about exercise, etc. Similarly, when we turn to God, we don't expect Him to say, fix yourself, then come to me, then I'll help you. God's not requiring us to join up all the dots ourselves this morning. Rather, He's asking us to come to Him and let Him be involved in the process of our recovery and restoration. Come as you are now, broken as Cohen was singing earlier on, the broken heart ministering to another broken heart.
I suppose a third uh, point in, our, in, in that chapter is the appeal at the end to choose wisely. Time is slipping away, so uh, I'll not dwell on it in any great length, but you and I know that there are many choices facing us on a day-to-day basis. Opportunities to do one thing or do the other. Which do we choose? Hosea is saying, this is a dangerous world we live in and is appealing to us to choose wisely. Day after day, things grab our attention, whether it's on our TV screens or in the world around us or in our places of work. And so often we hear what Christians are, are known for what they are against rather than what they are for. Yet in the midst of this book, we see a model of preaching repentance. True repentance isn't about bringing some gift or bride before God and hoping somehow deep down it will appease Him. Nor is it a feeling of sorrow or shame about getting caught for doing something wrong. It's, about, it's not about making a deceptive speech about changing when really our loyalties are telling us something different. It's a, genuinely, it's a genuine turning from a life of sin to serve the living and true God. Repentance often gets bad press. So often it's been used to beat people over the head, as some would say, good news sold as bad news. That's not the business that we're in. A constant reminder of failures won't make people want to turn to God who wants to be told you're no good. We we believers need true words of repentance. We need preachers and worship leaders who will help find those words for us to say when we are together. We need these words in our lives together, and as we go out of here, back into the world and into the communities in which we come from. We need to use them in our places of work and play so that we can invite others to experience and find this new life with us. Take words, the prophet says, because true words, real words are words that return us to our true home in God. Not so much a conclusion of doom, gloom, and boom, but rather the hope, the hope of a life restored, the hope of a future now set free, a hope of a life spent with God, a hope of a life made beautiful again. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do indeed, you do not indeed keep a record of our wrongs, yet when we confess them, you remove them from us. We thank you that you are a forgiving God. We thank you for the way in which over the past couple of months we have seen your forgiveness towards Israel uh, in the book of Hosea, but also as we draw out analogies from it to model your forgiveness to us. Heavenly Father, help us leave this morning feeling that in our brokenness we have met with you and been restored and enabled to go back out into the world around us. We thank you for the gift of your Son, his atoning sacrifice, his mercy, and his love displayed for us so that we could enter into this right relationship with you. 
In Jesus' name we pray.